0: Welcome to Drive Time, our UCLA Anderson Fully Employed MBA podcast. I'm Dylan Stafford, an assistant dean here and your host. We want you to meet some of the great women and men of FEMBA to share their success and give you an inside look at the impact of their MBA. Today's interview is with Barry Ripley, class of 2016. Barry created a massive career switch for himself, successfully transitioning from aerospace engineering to investment banking. Barry's field study took him on a nonprofit microfinance project to Peru, and back on campus, Barry led Femba Anderson Career Teams to pay forward his success to his peers. We hope you enjoy hearing the story of a great Femba, Barry Ripley 2016. And just to set the context, so we're sitting in my office, but there's a there's a beautiful um, wrapped up uh president of remy martin sitting here so let's just start with that so why do people keep giving you um gift bottles of cognac
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this is my fifth bottle um <laughs> all of which i haven't touched yet so we need to have a, some big event at the end of the year graduation to help me go through these um, so this past year in 2015 and 2016 i taught what we call a fact team femba anderson career team and it is a, a career team that helps coach students into careers in investment banking. So we teach them the skills they need to network, to uh, get through the technical interviews, so finance, accounting, M&A, valuation, all of that. And so it's a 10-week course that we put the students through, and, and when they're done, they're ready to go to investment banking or management consulting interviews. And so I ended up with about 14 students uh, in this course, five of which have now given me gifts. The nine <laughs> others, I... Need to talk to and see what's going on, um, but it's kind of a thank you gift for the, the time we put in. It's all on a volunteer basis, so um, it's nice to be rewarded for time we put into the students.
0: One of the things we talk about around here that's a big deal uh, to Dean Olien and, and sort of how we represent ourselves to the public is this idea of shared success. And what, as I've gotten to really hear about um, Barry's career success the last six months here in his final year. Let's just kind of back up. Um, you know, Where'd you grow up? what would you study undergrad? You know, Let's kind of give some people a little sense of, of who you were before business school.
1: Yeah, so I, I grew up in Northern California in the East Bay in a small town called Pleasanton. I went to undergrad at UC San Diego. I studied mechanical engineering. Always wanted to be an engineer. I was very technical as a high schooler, always taking apart motorcycles and lawnmowers and things like that. So I thought mechanical engineering was the way to go. So after that, I started a career in aerospace engineering. I worked in satellite development for a large aerospace firm and did a master's degree in engineering at UCLA, finishing in 2011. So that was my career up till about the time I started thinking about an MBA. I was about four years into my engineering career, and although I was making really good progress, promotions, more responsibility, everything, I still wanted more, especially after the master's in engineering. It was just a very technical degree, and I wanted something a little more mixed business-related and qualitative. So I came to a point around 2012 where I was interviewing with a new aerospace firm in South Bay, SpaceX, and I had an opportunity to go there or start the FEMBA program. SpaceX actually wouldn't allow me to work there while doing the FEMBA because the hour commitment was so high. So I had to reflect on what I really wanted, and I was thinking about making a transition out of engineering, so I went with the FEMBA route. Because I knew working at another aerospace firm would just sort of put me in that career for a long time. And I, I came in knowing that a career transition was a top priority and a definite possibility with the MBA program. So you walked in the door, self-identified, I'm going to switch. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I would say I was 90% sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wasn't 100%, but I was I was more than on the fence. I was pretty definite in my projection. That's what I wanted to do. But after coming here and spending first two quarters at Anderson, you get to meet other people and kind of hear what's possible and see what careers others are transitioning into. I had sort of made up my mind. And that's the point when you have to, your first year of FEMBA. You have that first full year that maybe a full-time MBA doesn't have to really look at what other people are doing, um, You know, all your other peers at Anderson, what they're doing and what's possible and what the different careers out there are. And when you're in a single industry, it can be kind of closed off to you, what everyone else is doing. So I made the choice to to start looking into other careers. And that's when I started investigating you know, where you could go, management consulting, investment banking, jobs in tech and product management, anywhere really outside of aerospace is where I was looking.
0: Before we get into kind of the evolution of your career thinking, let's just do some of the mechanics of starting grad school. So 25, 30% of FEMBAs have a dual degree before they start the program. So you were mm-hmm. in that camp, but you had done a MS in systems engineering here at UCLA. Mm-hmm. I would assume a little bit of a different experience to do a a second degree in engineering and now to come over to a employed MBA curriculum. Tell people sort of what schedule, what section did you choose, anything about leadership foundations, maybe quarter one, back to school adjustment, anything about that?
1: Yeah, so I was in section three, so I was taking classes Tuesdays and Thursdays around 6.45 till 9. So I was driving up from the South Bay, Redondo Beach area. So it was a, a decent drive, but I wanted to do Tuesday, Thursday, so I had my weekends open. You know, there's a lot of traffic, but it's not that bad. You can you can get into a podcast. Our first quarter, we had one student take all of our readings for organizational behavior. They put it on a recording on a podcast. So I'd sit in the traffic, and I'd just listen to my readings coming into class. So... It made it pretty pretty easy to do the tuesday thursday section that's
0: the classmate i want
1: right there yeah it was smart i mean entrepreneur right off the bat and he charged for it too so no way yeah yeah he went and hired <laughs> he hired a voice actor i think he made a small profit on it so there's your first business idea for, for mba and the readings change every year so you can make new recordings every single year oh,
0: that's hilarious
1: and then we had happy hours every thursday night after class starting around 10 o'clock so it was a very social um midweek kind of event Luckily, I had a job where I had flexibility. I could leave around 4.30 or 5 on Tuesdays and Thursdays to get up to campus. Others can't do it, so you have to go Saturday route. But it all starts in August at Leadership Foundations, where you take a week off, and you come up to campus, and you're immersed uh, in all these different activities with classmates, your family classmates of that sort of your summer session. And you do everything from in-course work to these activity fields we have out here on UCLA. I think the curriculum's still the same. Oh yeah, they do the ropes
0: course. The it's ropes
1: course, there we go, yeah. So it's the first time where you really get exposed to your FEMBA class, and that's where you're going to make friends that last. will end up lasting a lifetime. For me, it's been three years now, and the people I met at Leadership Foundations are still my closest friends in the FEMBA program. So it's a great time to come and meet people from different backgrounds and experiences, and really set that foundation for FEMBA. So that first summer after I, I finished the first full year of FEMBA, I had decided I wanted to move into finance and to make that transition, it was going to be difficult because I had no financial background, no financial education. I was all engineering. So I tapped into my network of people that I knew in finance and I just started sending out emails asking, hey, does anyone know of any open internship opportunities for an MBA student? And I offered to do it unpaid and I networked a little bit. One one thing led to another and I got an offer to work at a very small private equity firm in Sydney, Australia where I went down for 10 weeks and just kind of learned the basics of working in a financial office. They're more of a merchant bank doing private equity and investing in their own deals and some investment banking advisory. So it was a complete broad aspect of all financial markets you could ask for. And it was international, which was great. And it was basic exposure to working in finance. So that's kind of how I started my transition. And it really solidified with me that it was something I wanted to do because I enjoyed the work and it also put some finance on my resume before going into investment banking recruiting at Anderson. And what that did for me is that it showed the big banks that I wanted to recruit with that I was actually passionate about making this transition because I had went and done it and I did it on unpaid basis and just through networking. So it, it showed some initiative that really, really helps for someone who's transitioning from a non-financial career into something like investment banking. So that was sort of step one.
0: You know, wow! So a, a ten-week unpaid internship on the other side of the world—like just to give people a flavor of—we don't have a magic treasure chest full of great jobs. and You just reach in and grab one. You know, you really—you mm-hmm. know—you go get it. That was your ante in. Now all yes. of a sudden, I can go into year two. So you've now got some evidence that you're serious about this. Okay, so this is making sense to me. So yep. take our take our listeners yeah, forward. Yeah. So
1: your second year of FEMBA is the year that you will start. Uh, to recruit through on-campus recruiting, OCR, as we call it. You come in, like Dylan just mentioned, a second-year FEMBA, and you are now on the same timeline as the full-time MBAs, and that's when they start recruiting as well. So I just finished this internship in Australia, and school started late September, and recruiting starts right away. So I had no idea where I'd stand competitively. Going into investment banking, I knew I was up against some people with great backgrounds in finance, accounting, all the kind of things that investment banks love and i had engineering engineering is good in the fact that it's it's technical it's analytical you have to have good attention to detail but they know that engineers don't quite put in at least from the aerospace industry aren't putting in the hours that investment bankers or consultants or lawyers have so you kind of have to create a story that you know i know that i can handle this because part of my story was You know, I've got the analytical background and I know I can handle it because I just did this unpaid internship to prove that it's something I want and something I can do. And it just makes a good transition story, it really helps. So from there, recruiting starts in October for investment banking. You start with corporate presentations. Basically all the big companies, the big Wall Street banks are going to come to campus from mid-October to mid-November and give presentations. Most of the people that come are Anderson alum, so it's a very comfortable setting knowing that these people can relate to you, these recruiters. And it gives you the chance to meet them, and it is on you to get their business card, get their information, and reach out to them, and start doing informational interviews, getting to know them. And you have a few months to do this uh, until interviews which start in early January. So you basically have October, November, to get to know several bankers, or if you're going the consulting route, several consultants, it's the same timeline, that's why we recommend you just recruit for one or the other, not both. And all while you're doing this networking, we're also putting the recruits through FACT training, the Anderson Career Team training. And in that course, we're teaching you how to network and also how to get through the technical interviews. So you're learning the basics of investment banking, accounting, valuation, MA modeling, all the basics that you need to know to get through an interview. The engineers that we put through this year, a few of them went and did the same internship program that I did, an unpaid internship. To kind of prep their resume and get it short up to go into investment banking recruiting, and they did the same thing. Just went to their network. Some used the Anderson alumni network, and they got themselves unpaid either private equity or investment banking internships, and it really helped them in recruiting. It just showed the banks that you know these guys are really serious about what they're wanting to do.
0: It's a job, but it's not a job because you know it's got a it's got a ten week shelf life. Tell people what's what's the experience of doing in either of the internships your first summer or second mm. summer. The the first summer was. The
1: managing partners of the organization knew I had no financial background, so it was more of an educational period for me. Great experience, but I guess I would say the learning curve was very steep, so I felt like I was everything I was doing was wrong. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so luckily, I had a great support group around me of analysts that really really helped me out, knew I didn't have a background. So that was my first summer. Second summer, when I interned with City. I guess there are some parallels in that the learning curve was very steep, it was a much more intense environment because we're working with very large, you know, U.S. blue chip companies and everything you have to do has to be right. You know, you can't make any mistakes. These was kind of the big leagues. So it was 10 weeks. I would say we were averaging 80 to 100 hours a week. Some were longer depending on, you know, if you were active on a live deal or you just you had some significant deadlines coming up. The work range from pitch books, which are, you know, basically presentations you put together for a meeting with the company CEO or CFO. You go and you put together some material on the current valuation, maybe the market landscape, some M&A ideas or activities. You might be on a live M&A transaction, uh, a live IPO. You could do an equity offering. Investment banks do such a wide range of product offerings. You can really be part of everything. And I worked with six or seven different blue chip US technology companies. And just having exposure to the C-level people at those firms was such, You know, an educational experience. You take so much from that. And working in that demanding environment was just unlike anything I'd done before. It was nice though because it was only 10 weeks and we knew there was an end to it. Come mid August, you know, it came to an end. And although it was stressful at times, it was an incredibly rewarding experience. And me and one other Anderson guy that interned there, we both got offers and we had signed to return the following week. So we made up our minds just about immediately that we wanted to return to. The firm right afterwards we we
0: liked our experience we had a good time and were you part of a cohort in australia you were you were the only guy there or the only intern
1: um in australia i was the only intern they'd actually right. never taken an intern before nice. i okay. sort of created the role in australia um, i emailed the founder and i said hey i got your information from a friend of mine wow um, can i come out there and you know, maybe do an interview. I'd like to work Either with you. You did a cold call around the world. I, I did a cold call, but I had a friend CC'd on the email, so he, he actually read it for me. And he's like, sure, if you want to fly out and chat. So I was like, okay. So I just booked a trip to Sydney.
0: Nice. Weeks later, oh, you're burning the boats. Yeah, you're just going. Yeah.
1: yeah, I went out there and I just started talking about my background in engineering. And I, I was in business school. I wanted to make a transition to finance. Yep. And I told him what I thought I could offer. I said, yeah, was an engineer, we're good at Excel, we're analytical, I can do valuations, because I really studied my finance classes. And he kind of laughed,
0: you know, because he knew I was pretty green. You're like, this is your internship to get an internship. That's how much you, that's not how much effort you put in.
1: It's good you said that. We should make it clear because it's kind of a confusing, yeah, this was an internship to get an internship, which led to a full-time role. So this first internship after my initial interview there, he left without really signaling anything. I I left Sydney without really getting any signals from him. So I was really confused. I was like, did I do well? Am I going to get this? And then two weeks later, he sent me an email saying, hey, we'd love to have you this summer. When can you start? So... Trip too to Sydney a couple of weeks later. So as soon as wow. the FEMBA program ended in the spring, my first year, went off to Sydney for ten weeks. That was a great experience. I mean, living in a different, even though Australia is kind of like, it's sort of cheating traveling because they speak English and right. it's not too hard. It was still, yeah, very different culture down there.
0: Yeah. So you yeah, leave sure. there going, well, I just bought a plane ticket to Australia. Yeah. I hope something comes of this, but not yeah. even knowing.
1: Yeah. And the first weekend I was in Australia, I almost didn't get the meeting the founder of the firm I was supposed to interview with canceled it twice. And all of a sudden I was like, Hey, Tim, are you, is this going to happen? I'm going to leave in two days. And I flew all the way here from Los Angeles and the day I was going to leave, I actually got breakfast with them. So it almost didn't even happen. It was sort of a miracle that it worked out. Wow. And then, yeah, we just, we actually talked about aerospace more than we did, you know, who's really interested in satellites and rockets and that. So, you know, you never know where it's going to lead. And those that don't have as strong as the network or aren't as comfortable reaching out and just cold calling, once you're at Anderson, you can join the clubs, uh, the finance club, the management consulting club. And there's a lot of these small opportunities that come up. But you have to take the initiative to reach out, meet the, you know, the managing partner or the founder, and go you know, make a good impression to get one of these small internships that could lead to a bigger internship. And as FEMBAs, we have two summers, so we have the chance to really get that one internship that can lead to another as a career switcher. And I'll just make it clear, it's not mandatory to do it, but it's very helpful. It, it just makes your transition process much easier, especially if you're going from something like engineering to a completely different field like finance.
0: You know, people are asking, well, wait a minute, unpaid, 10 weeks, so, and you had a job. So what happened to your aerospace job The f- your first summer between year one and two? Yeah, I took a leave of absence. Took a leave of absence, so you still yeah, had your job, but I you did. were not being paid.
1: Yeah, I was fortunate that my manager at the time was an Anderson alum. And nice. he was okay. very supportive of what I was doing here. He was fully aware of the situation. So took a leave of absence, unpaid for 10 weeks, and and came back. And my job was still there. I know not everyone can do that. It's tough. So you, you do have to
0: make sacrifices, though. So year two, back in school, you're working in aerospace. Yes. Okay. In year two, back in school, working in aerospace and full-time pursuing the competitive process of looking for your real internship now. And now, where was the city internship? Where was that? It was in their San Francisco office. In San Francisco? Yes.
1: Yeah, which is a, a full service office. They run mergers and acquisition and deal sourcing out of that office. So we did a week of training in New York in their Manhattan office. And then I did nine weeks in San Francisco.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah. So that's a f- I mean, you had two very fun summers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was great. The week of training in Manhattan is a lot of fun, especially not being from the East Coast. You know, New York was a whole new experience for me. But I wanted to stay in San Francisco for two reasons. One, I'm from Northern California, so it's closer to home. And two, I wanted to work in technology. And if you're in San Francisco, you will be in the technology group. Maybe healthcare, maybe sponsors, but mainly 90% of the work out there is technology. Whereas if you do investment banking in New York, there's no guarantee you will get the industry group you want usually have to bid for either healthcare or industrials or oil and gas or something else. So I was very specific in what I wanted to do. Now, there are a lot more seats in New York for investment banking. I would say it's equally competitive, New York or San Francisco. There's just fewer spots in San Francisco. There's not as many spots in tech investment banking. So we had a lot of guys this year go to New York, just one or two to San Francisco, mostly to New York and a couple Los Angeles as well. So there's a mix for the three big cities. Those are the, the primary markets for banking.
0: So city went well, and again, we're now we're, city. This is more of a formal MBA internship. So this this one had a cohort,
1: right? Yes, yeah, very structured. Now the entire um, associate group that I was interning with was about sixty people. Wow! But only four were at my office in San Francisco, and so when you're doing training in New York, all sixty associate interns are there. They call us uh, summer associates. Every single top MBA program you can think of is represented there. You see, you know, people from top schools: Wharton, Chicago, Columbia. Harvard. They're all there. It's a great chance to meet all these people. After week one, you disperse. So most stay in New York. Some go to Chicago, Houston, LA, and San Francisco. And then my cohort in San Francisco was just four summer associates. It was two of us from Anderson, one from Cornell, and one from Berkeley Haas. Nice.
0: So a, okay. good, a
1: good representation of schools there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Fine. It's competitive
1: though. And in, in these internships, it's very collegial. So you sort of team up with your school, and you, you're all friends, but you always have that
0: camaraderie with the people
1: that are from Anderson.
0: So. That's great. I guess we should maybe remind people that you also took classes while you were here. You know, Again, maybe compare and contrast a little mm-hmm. an MBA curriculum from an engineering curriculum. So three years of classes,
1: you're going through this incredible change in your life, and this change is made up of hundreds, maybe thousands of very small instances. And all those little instances are within these classes that we're taking. And so your first year is core. So let's start with core. My favorite class out of that was probably strategy. And the reason was I'd never taken anything like it. The analytical classes were more like engineering. You take a class in statistics and probability, economics, finance, it's all very numerical. So kind of related to engineering, not as difficult as some of the engineering stuff, very doable, but strategy just completely blew my mind. I should give a shout out, Professor Ian Larkin. Oh Absolutely amazing. Um, Brilliant professor. You'll love strategy. I did at least. It it just completely turned upside down what I thought companies did in the boardroom behind the scenes. You have no idea how smart these people are that are making decisions that you don't even pick up on, but they affect you as consumers and also the success of a company. So that was probably my favorite core class. And then getting into electives, I took a lot of finance classes because I knew that was the career route I wanted to go and I had to really short my skills to get into investment banking. But the class I enjoyed the most were probably the real estate courses, both Eric Sussman and Paul Habibis. Oh, you classes. had both! Wow, Sussman yeah. and Habibie. excellent Yes, I took both their course. I took them out of order. I took Sussman's advanced before the Habibis intro, which was probably not the best idea, but <laughs> kind of threw <laughs> but me the You don't do things fire. the
0: easy way. I'm noticing you have a trend here. Yeah,
1: and the thing with real estate, I never really had a big interest into it. And I just, I, you know, I've heard so much about Eric Sussman. I have to take one of his classes, so I signed up for his advanced courses in real estate one real estate something that's going to affect all of our lives eventually and you just sort of assume that yeah i'll go to a broker one day and i'll get a house but the nuances and idiosyncrasies that actually go into real estate purchasing for either home use or real estate investment um, are so broad and numerous and it's a very inefficient market and so there's a lot of opportunity for investors there that are willing to put in the time and the diligence that want to make investments and do well and our professors are both practitioners which is very different than what I was used to, say, from an engineering degree, going back to that question, where you're you're in a very academic setting. So Eric and Paul, both practitioners, both very successful, and their cases bring real world instances that they go through into the classroom. They also do the typical Harvard Business Review cases that give you sort of a or global perspective, but they're also giving you cases of stuff they've actually done. So they couldn't teach this any better way, I think, in my opinion. is doing something they've actually done in the real world, showing both the successes and the failures. You know, they bring up developments that they did in 2007 and 2008, and they were able to get through it, and the different decision trees they had to go through to actually get there. Um, it's just very real-world and applicable. And then to finance, real estate's actually very similar to finance, as far as modeling goes and all the Excel and analytical work you have to do. It probably helped me more in investment banking than anything else was actually taking real estate courses because you can relate almost everything back to real estate as far as valuation and modeling. And it's a simple way to think about more complex concepts like bond offerings and everything else you do in investment banking. Excellent. So real estate was probably my favorite course in the electives. You can take a ton of finance courses if that's the route you want to go, but the real estate professors really make it
0: interesting. And for those of you listening, yeah, Professor Sussman was ranked by Business Week, one of the top 10 business school professors in the nation. I'm, I still don't understand how they evaluated that. But he's, he's yeah, both professors Sabibi and, and Sussman are you know just receive rave reviews. And then tell us about your field study. So you went to Finca, Peru, if I remember? Yes, yeah. So your capstone
1: project is a FEMBA, um, is a field study where you kind of do a consulting project and you form a team, usually five FEMBAs and you'll pick a project from a list. Uh, you have so many options. You kind of bid on different projects, so you can get something and usually your top two or three selections. And my group, we ended up working with a nonprofit development developmental company in uh, Peru called Finca Peru. Their main focus is microfinance, so they seek to alleviate rural farmers uh, in Peru from poverty through micro lending and micro loans. So we ended up doing two trips down there, one in November and then one in January. They hired us to help them expand into the rural areas. So in the most rural remote villages in the Andean highlands of Peru, have absolutely zero access to banking products, no credit, no lending available to them. And most microfinance firms don't go there because it's so expensive to deliver these services Hmm. because everyone's so dispersed. You literally have to go out into these dirt roads for hours and hours to find these villages to actually help these farmers. And the farmers are growing products like potato, corn, quinoa, maize, other things that are very susceptible to fluctuations in the environment. So they're having issues with global warming right now, with temperature rises. And so, wow, yeah, so there's all these issues they're facing. They don't have access to credit or education. Finca brought us on to help them understand how to expand their services in these rural areas. Not only how to do it, but what products and services do these people need? So we spent a week down there in November where we flew into Lima, went to Ayacucho, which is around 12,000 feet elevation. So we're immediately up at high elevation above Machu Picchu. And then we spent six hours driving out into the Andean Highlands, which was all dirt roads on cliffs, all this crazy stuff. And you start meeting with these local farmers who don't speak Spanish. They speak Quechua. So we had to do double translations from Quechua to Spanish to English. So it was kind of a daunting task, but we realized certain needs they had. Um, they wanted education. They wanted microfinancing. And we put together some ideas and went back down there in January and pitched all the different ideas of products and services we wanted to give to them. And we got great reception from the actual clients of Peru and Peru themselves. And by early February, FincaPru was implementing a lot of the ideas we had to Helped them expand in these rural areas. So I think the project will be posted online, maybe some some slides or uh, reports so you can read into it if you have more interest. But um, nice. yeah, in the end, it was really great. Now it's to be able to do a, an actual consulting project as a student and have your ideas implemented while you're still doing the project is pretty rare. So we were fortunate that the company was very receptive of what we were uh, recommending they do.
0: When we talk about an applied master's thesis with our global access program or. How yeah. were how you guys set up, you know, when you had these double translation meetings?
1: God, I've got some great videos. They're actually on the Center for Global Management website, oh, which you guys okay. should check out. There's some up there, yeah. But we, it, there was two styles. Some of these places had like a village community center where we'd all meet in sort of a room. A lot of them were like literally Adobe huts or wow. um, more like a shed than an actual room. And we'd meet and we kind of had a list of questions we we're going through, but it just didn't work. You know, the questions weren't translating well. So we just got into a conversation and usually they last 30, 40 minutes, sometimes longer, and we'd have a, a group of maybe 20 or 30 farmers, five of us, uh, the director of, of Pru and a few translators. And we just started getting a conversation, you know, what are your greatest needs? What are your biggest problems? The problem's... Where everything from, you know, we we take soil samples, but we get results and we don't understand it. Or we don't have irrigation, you know, it's not raining out here as much as it used to. Uh, Or we have a new pest that has come in because we introduced a new strain of quinoa that's selling really well in the U.S., but it brought in all these new, you know, bugs that we don't have pesticides for. And so they have all these problems ranging from agricultural to irrigation. And what they really wanted was education first. They wanted agronomists to come out there and analyze their farms and tell them you know what are we doing wrong what can we fix on top of that you have to give them the microfinance so they can afford to implement these new solutions like better seed technology or irrigation and you know these meetings were sometimes in you know in these rooms sometimes in the field so we were in uh quinoa farms we're actually out looking at the quinoa of a farmer at the avocado farm and we're eating the avocado on the farm it was the best avocado we ever had Too nice so yeah so it was in the field actual research and just trying to you know, solve their biggest problems.
0: That is yeah. fantastic.
1: And it was all nonprofit too, which is great. So we didn't have to, you know, you need to generate a slight profit. So these companies can actually afford their expenses, operational expenses, but we weren't looking to, you know, just cut cost, increase price and, and drive home profit. It was very fulfilling, I guess, in the end.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, the places you'll go. So you're kind of, you're, you're, what's next? You're after FEMBA plans. When do you start?
1: So my start date is July 25th. Okay. So I have a few more months off. Um, I've actually finished all my units. So technically I've graduated, I guess I could say, but I'm taking what I call luxury classes this quarter. I'm auditing classes that I've always wanted to take, but just never had the chance or time to. So I'm enrolled in four classes right now, yep. which is nice. So the units aren't mandatory. You can take them pass, no pass. It's a much more relaxing feel. So I'll do this through the end of June. I've got a few weddings to go to, some travel plans. Leaving for Bali tomorrow, actually.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. Nice. So
1: the life of a third-year FEMBA's is pretty good.
0: <laughs> so, and we have an acronym around here: uh, FUMBA, a fully unemployed MBA, yes. which is um, yep. can be a badge of honor if you earn it the way Barry has earned it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's no, not a bad thing at no, all.
1: A FUMBA is a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad at all.
0: Any shout outs to any, um, you know, friends you made along the way, classmates made a difference for you?
1: Yeah, some of my best friends now are actually both in the FEMBA and the full-time program. It's a testament to how how immersed the FEMBAs are in the culture of UCLA Anderson. From the first year that I was here from Leadership Foundations, a few friends that I met there I'm still very close with today. Going through recruiting, you'll become very close with the full-time students. So I just did a ski trip a month ago with five full-timers in the full-time MBA program. We went to Whistler, spent a week in Canada. Nice. And then even professors, you know, I've gotten you know become really close with a few of the professors here and deans, Gonzalo Fracious. We everyone go,
0: loves Gonzalo. Gonzalo's
1: is great, and he goes on global immersion trips. So we we did a global immersion in Austria and the Czech Republic back in September, and became friends. And you know now we've gone out for drinks, had some fun. So uh, you really can build lasting relationships here. And then you know that's just kind of the fun side of it. And also. You build these these relationships that are gonna help you in your career. You get the Anderson network that is more valuable than I could have ever imagined. And that's really what you know is gonna take you from where you were to really where you want to go.
0: And so, yeah, I guess, you know, kind of last thoughts. So paying it forward, people are gonna to listen to this podcast who are gonna follow in your footsteps. You know, if you knew then what you know now, any kind of parting well wishes to future generations of fembas, you know, any advice you'd give? One thing that that always kind of held me back a little bit
1: my first year was fear, I guess would say. In the classroom, my first year, I was always scared to speak up. I was probably one of the quieter people in class. And after I got my internship, maybe I got a little bit more confident, I started speaking more and it was so much more rewarding when you can get into a class debate or a class conversation with your professors. Not only do you get to know your professor better, you get to know your, your other students better because you might get into a debate in class and then you'll talk about it afterwards. And it just sort of builds this relationship you know, your thought might be different than the person next to you or the next to you. And they might say something and you're like, I didn't even think of that. Or that's exactly what I was thinking, but it doesn't matter. Just say what's on your mind. And even if it's completely out of left field and and incorrect, it will add to the classroom conversation and your learning experience. So I just want to be as fearful as I was my first
0: year. I appreciate your time today. This is fascinating. I think this will make a big difference for people who are interested in in making a hard right turn into something new and different and need a little shot in the arm for some boldness. So um, thanks for being here today, Barry. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thank you, Dylan. Anyone wants to reach out, ask me any questions, please feel free. You can find me probably most easily on LinkedIn, Barry Ripley. I'm the only one on there. (laughs) There's not too many of us. Send me a message, ask me anything. I'll
0: respond pretty timely and love to hear
1: what you guys have to say or think.
0: All right. Thanks very much. Stay tuned for our next podcast. It's going to be another great conversation, but I don't know if we can do much better than this.